So I saw on one of our church members' Facebook page a picture of our member vision night that we had this past Friday. So we had a member vision night. So it was like a member meeting, and then we kind of had a little fun time afterwards. And I saw this picture on one of our members' Facebook page, and it was an image of our people dancing to the wobble. And the caption underneath it said, the church that wobbles together, dot, dot, dot. And then it says, no, seriously, best church business meeting ever. I agree. I believe that the church that wobbles together stays together. So that's right. Who said email? I like that. That's right. I love that. When I was in high school, I had a family that I was really close to. The family is called the Zimmerman family. They had four daughters, Jill, Jan, Julie, and Jenna, all, all JJs. And they had, uh, this family was just so much fun. They had this house that we nicknamed the Time Warp. Because every time you would go there, you'd have so much fun that it'd be like five hours would go by, and you'd be like, what? I thought we were only here for like 30 minutes. What just happened? And they were a blast. You'd go over to their house together, and they would always play games, sing songs, like make up dances. They would um, do all these activities. They would just be that family that you would hang out with, and you're like, oh, man, they have so much more fun than anybody else together. And not that my parents, not that my parents weren't fun or anything. They were amazing parents. But my parents worked all the time. You know, they, they came home at like 9 o'clock at night. They ate dinner really quickly and went to bed. And I was like, it wasn't so much like we didn't hang out like, hey, let's have a lot of fun. It was more like they were just providing work. But this family, they just always had such a great time together. They had a blast. And I remember thinking one day that I want a family like that. I remember thinking that one day when I'm older, you know, I want a big family and we just want to get together. We want to, we want to sing songs play games, we want to dance, we want to play instruments together, we want to just have a good time, we want to just have a blast together. I love a large family that loves being around together, can be goofy in front of each other, just, it just radically affects people, and that's what this, this family did, they, they were just goofy, they, were, they didn't care, they were just, just goofy and open and just so much fun, it affected the people they were around, it made their house a time warp, everybody just wanted to be around that family. Well, I just want to say this. Thank you, Waypoint Church, for giving me that family. On Friday night, I saw as I was performing Part of Your World from The Little Mermaid. <laughs> this was a place that we could be absolutely silly and goofy, open and vulnerable. And we could be family together and have such a great time, yet still be on such mission together. I believe that's part of the DNA of who we are, who we're meant to be at Waypoint. Our scripture today is one that I preached on a couple years back about the purpose and nature of community and the church. And for our three-year anniversary, what I want us to do really quickly is dive into this idea of what it means for us specifically, what it looks like to be the local church together. This scripture here starts off with, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... Anytime you see a therefore in scripture, it's always key to understanding a Bible passage, right? Therefore, you guys know this is something we've taught before. And every time you see a therefore, what you do is you look before. You see what it says before. And so we see earlier in Hebrews that the author is sharing about the covenants that were in place in the Old Testament. This incredible promise that God will be our God and we will be his people. The author makes it a huge point that all this is pointing towards and ultimately being fulfilled in Christ. So if you guys remember, in the book of Genesis, 
um, that we, I, we, had, we shared what this covenant meant. Covenant was this promise, this oath, agreement that was made together, this treaty, if you will. And what would happen is when they made this treaty together, that they would actually split open. This is kind of graphic here, but I'll give it anyway. They'd actually split open an animal and they cut it open. And the p- p- people would walk actually through the animal to say, as we make this agreement, as we come to this promise together, may what happened to this animal happen to me if I break the treaty, if I break this promise, break this agreement. And what the book of Hebrews is ultimately saying is that all that, that picture, this image of covenant, all that happened in the past, that said God promised you, all that led to show that it was Jesus himself, it was God himself who walked through the animal, who actually took on, even though you broke the covenant, even though we broke the promise, Jesus took on that punishment. His body was ripped apart for us. So Hebrews says that all this is pointing to, all the covenants, all the promise is pointing to ultimately culminating in Jesus. And Hebrews 10.1 says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it could never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. So it says, this says therefore, in Hebrews 10 it goes into, therefore, because of the work of Jesus, because of this confidence we now have, we have confidence to draw near to God. We are washed with pure water. We have a clear conscience. Our entry, our keeping power, all came through the work of Jesus Christ and not what you did. Here's the point I want you to hear really quickly from that. Is this is what makes this church and this community unique. That you didn't have to have a certain GPA or a certain amount of wealth or a skill set to get in. We're not a country club that you had to pay initiation fee to join. It wasn't a beta club that you had to have a certain GPA to be a part of. It wasn't a school that you had to have certain recommendations to get accepted to. Instead, what made you worthy to join this community is that Jesus fulfilled the covenant, fulfilled the promise. He paid the price upon the cross, paid your initiation fee, adopted you in, and said you are now a part of this community. He made you worthy, he keeps you in, he gives you access. So I think foundationally the first thing I want us to understand that what makes us unique as a church, what makes us unique as a community of people, believers together, is first and foremost that it was Jesus who brings us in. And it's Jesus who keeps us in. Do you understand that? There's nothing you did, no good you had, no skill that you were looking for. You know, I have a, I had a, I have a friend who was a, who was a pastor of a church. I'm not going to say any names or denominations or anything, but he, he kind of had a weird purpose. He always said to himself that he did campus ministry. He always wanted the athletes. He was like, I'm just going to get all the athletes at the campus ministry. I'm going to get all the athletes at the school. It was a really big SEC football school. You know, so he's like, if I just get the athletes and I get the influential people and that's who I'll get to come to know Jesus and make everybody know Jesus, yay! And I'm like, that seems so flawed, doesn't it? I mean, practically speaking, it makes sense, right? Practically, if you get influential people, then they'll influence others. Oh yeah, it makes sense. But that's, doesn't that seem anti to what the Bible is all about? They took people who were not worthy, fishermen and tax collectors and shepherds and us, People who had nothing necessarily to offer and makes us worthy. Guys, I want you to understand that the gospel is this. This is a huge, beautiful thing. This is the foundation that we enter into. Uh, The foundation of our community, the foundation of our church is this, that no matter what you do, there's nothing you can do to be good enough or to earn salvation 
but there's also nothing you can do to lose it. So I want you to understand this. The gospel says you are far worse than you actually think you are. But Jesus loves you and his grace is far greater than you could ever hope for or imagine. Left to my own devices, left to my own ability to do good or to accomplish good, I will always be in a constant state of striving, questioning, and yearning. But with Jesus, I can be in confident state of knowing that I belong to a family. I was thinking about Candace and Jason, and I thought about their children. And I thought about those in foster care who might happen to grow up wondering, does anybody love me? These kids who might go from home to home, they might go from situation to situation, they might grow up that's wondering, okay, what if I'm really good this time? And it breaks my heart to think that way. What if I'm really good with this foster home? Will they love me? And will they keep me? And instead, what they've given to their children, what they give to, to KK and the landing, what they've given to them is they said, no, 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 you never have to worry about that. You never have to worry about it. You're mine. I will always love you. So those two boys now can grow up thinking, okay, I don't ever have to worry about that again. This is why we believe in foster care, right? And adoption. Because that's who we are now. We get to be the ones who say, will anybody love me? Do I be, can I be good enough? Can, can, will anybody accept me? But now we can say, in Jesus, therefore, because of him, because of his work, he fulfills the covenant, he took the punishment, and he adopted us. Now we can say, okay, I'm accepted in. I, I, can, I can know that I'm loved. We have access to the presence. We have access to the community because of Jesus, not because of anything that we did. In verses 19 through 22, we see the writer of Hebrews talking about we have access to the presence of God. Then he immediately turns around and then says, therefore, let us spur each other, let us encourage each other to love and good works. Where, where, where do you get this access to the access? How now through Jesus Christ does the presence of God actually come into your life and change you and make you the person you ought to be? I'm going to say this, through community. It's not just simply by praying by yourself in your prayer closet. It's through community. That's the reason C.S. Lewis says at one point in mere Christianity says this. Christ works on us all in all sorts of ways, but above all, he works on us through each other. We are carriers of Christ to each other. It's easy to think the church has many purposes, education, building, missions, holding services, but the purpose of all those purposes is one. The church has no other purpose than to draw people into Christ to make them like little Christ. If they're not doing that, then all the cathedrals, missions, sermons, even the teachings of the Bibles are simply a waste of time. John Wesley was often heard to say, the Bible knows nothing of a solitary religion. The idea is, is how you access this access to God is you do it through community. As we show Christ to each other, as we live in community, we show each other who Christ is, this access to his presence, and we grow in the likeliness of this. And what does that look like? What does that look like in community? Let's see here in verse 24 and 5, it says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. There are four things really quickly I want us to dive into as we look into what it looks like in community. Number one, it says considering. 
It says consider how to spur each other one and on. Stop and think about this. This is talking about, when we say consider one another, it literally says it means to think about one another. To actually care what each other in community, in the church, is feeling about, one, about each other. To actually look into their character, to dive into them, to consider them, to consider them first above you. Two, it says stir, stir one another. That's an interesting word. But literally in the Greek, it has a connotation of literally means to irritate. Irritate one another. Now some of you guys are good at irritating others. Some of you guys are easily irritable. But what it means, it's not like that. Literally what it means is to, to be able to disagree, to nag until a point of accomplishing something. I made a joke yesterday, I hung out with Dylan, and I always said, Dylan's a natural contrarian. <laughs> like, Dylan's one of those guys that, like, if you say the sky's blue, he's going to be like, well, actually, it's, <laughs> you know, he, he just likes to be contrarian. I joke about this because I'm kind of like that. And he's like, well, you know, it's good to challenge everybody's ideas so they know what they're actually thinking. That's, that's what my nature is. But, you know, we need some of that. Guys, here's the deal. Way too many times in churches do we have a lot of bunch of people like, I don't want to step on anybody's toes. I don't want to challenge anybody. Guys, what we talk about in communities, as we think about one another, as we care about getting to know each other's character and nature, as we, or, or, as we consider one another, the second step is we're actually called to stir each other up, to actually irritate each other a little bit, to say, you know what? And the, the sin that is in me, guys, is so subtle and it's so sneaky that if I don't have you help me out, if I don't have you pointed out to me, the sin's going to keep on getting away. Does that make sense? If I don't have you challenge me to grow, then nothing's going to irritate me enough to get off the couch to go. You know, that was the thing. Um, you know how people, when they set their alarm clock, some people put it next to their beds, but they can just hit that snooze button really quick and go right back to sleep? So some people have to be like, they have to take that alarm clock and put it far away, so they actually have to get up and go. That's the only way they'll wake up. Guys, some of you guys are the type of people that when it comes to sin in your own life, as you're trying to walk in the likeliness of Jesus, you need to be irritated enough to actually get up and go. And that might mean somebody coming up to you and saying, in love, saying, this is the way you need to grow, to irritate each other. Three, to encourage one another. This is, I love it because right after irritating one another, the Bible says, oh, but you're all supposed to encourage one another, Right? That we're called to not just um, irritate, but also to encourage. And NIV says, spur each other on. And literally, I love it, in the Greek it means it's parakaleo, which para means to come alongside, kaleo means to call. So when it says to encourage one another, it literally means to come alongside one another. And when it says to encourage Jason and Candace in foster care, it's literally saying, let me come alongside you, and your children are now our children. When it calls to encourage one another, it literally means saying, oh, you're struggling with what? Let me come alongside you and live that out together. Guys, we live in a fierce Western individual world. Tim Keller says this, and I love this. Our culture is an enlightenment individualistic culture. The sociologists call it expressive individualism. The highest value is self-determination. I have the right to decide what is right or wrong for me. You can either have that kind of individualistic freedom, or you can have a loving community. But you can't have both. Are you willing to give up your friends that warrant? Or are, are you willing to give your friends that warrant? Are they willing to give you that warrant? Are you spurring each other up to love and good works? In other words, are you willing to give up this fierce individuality to let somebody else tell you that what you're doing is wrong even though you don't think it is? 
Are you willing to give up this fierce individualism to say, I'll come alongside you and let other people come alongside you to, alongside you to good faith and good works? See, you can't have both. You can't have this fierce individualism and yet still have a loving community because in the loving community, you're willing to let go of fierce individualism and say that I can be known and vulnerable and I might not always be right. That I need others to encourage me and to grow, to irritate me. Fourth, it says pushing each other to faith and good works. This idea of good deeds is a product. If you're really involved in this kind of one another ministry in this living community, what you're going to see is that you spur each other on to good works. Guys, I'm just going to dive through this really quickly, but we have, I believe there's a twofold mission of the church. I hear this very well. This is what I believe is a twofold mission of the church. First, number one, is to show through our good works, through our living community, is to show the preview of the coming kingdom. Who here loves watching previews at movies, like the previews of trailers? Anybody? Really? I thought everybody loved them. Am I the only one? I love trailers. Like, I'm the guy that, like, I get angry if my wife makes me late to a movie because I want to watch the previews. Like, I love them. Some of you guys, like, I had a friend of mine who would actually walk out during the previews because he didn't want, like, they'd ruin all the good parts of the movie. No, no, I love trailers. When I saw the Thor Ragnarok, I'm just going to be honest with you guys. When I saw that trailer, I was like, this is going to be epic. You know? I get so excited over trailers. Often, to my detriment, it leads to disappointment when I watch the movie. Because <laughs> the trailers are so epic, you know? But I love trailers because what it, what it does, it, it shows me an image of what, how great that movie could be. You know, they have all the epic movies, they have the epic scenes, the, the scenes that they show are like the best ones, the funny ones. And I, like, I get so excited, I'm like, wow, that movie's going to be incredible. Guys, look at me, I want you to get this. What we're called to do as, as we're the local church... In community, is we're supposed to be that preview, that trailer of the kingdom of God. People are supposed to look at us and to see the way we love in community, that we encourage each other, stir each other, spur each other on, and the good works that we do, and they look at us and they say, man, that's what it looks like? That's what God is? That's what heaven's about? I need to be a part of that. That's incredible. Edmund Clowney writes, reverent corporate worship is not optional for the church of God. It is not a form of group behavior to be accepted just because of its long tradition or its acceptability in many cultures. Rather, it brings to expression the very being of the church. It manifests on earth the reality of the heavenly assembly. What we do, even on Sunday morning, as we gather together people of different races, of ethnic cultures, of 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 different ages and different SESs, where we bring together people of every tribe, tongue, and nation in diverse community here to gather in reverent corporate worship. We say, here is a picture of heaven. Do you see it? Do you see it? Hebrews 12, 28 says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. We are the picture of heaven. People want to believe that there is a place that gathers sinners together who are all flawed yet can still love each other and serve each other. I mean, I want that. Don't you? I'll be honest, as I see the news in our culture today, as I see the issues between race, the issues of, of 
in St. Louis right now, the riots and protests, and I see so many of these, of the divisive, dividing issues in the world today. I need to believe and I need to see a picture of a future reality that's better and bigger. As the man is who, who kind of grew up in the South, of being a minority in the South, who's experienced in some ways some of the, the issues that we face with racism, I, I need to believe that there is a, a, a kingdom, there is a coming heaven, there is a coming reality that looks different from what I experienced. And when I see this church, I believe that there is. I see a picture of that. When we look around and we see genocide around the world and we see atrocities committed, we see terrible things brought up in different names and we see it all happening, I, still, I, need, I need something to give me hope and anchored. I need, a, I need a picture of a coming reality that could be bigger and better. And I look around and I, I see that with you guys. That's our job as the church is to be the ones that say to the world that there is a coming reality. It is bigger. It is better. It's the kingdom of Jesus. And it's a diverse place of every tribe, tongue, and nation gathered together in worship. That our identifying factor, our way that we got into the kingdom is that we're all sinners. But Jesus purchased us. He bought us. He loved us. He adopted us in. And we get to do life together. So when we love each other, when we spur each other on, when we provide meals for each other, when we encourage each other to become more like him, as we're diving into the word together, as we're doing the good works, because here's the second part. The second part of our role as a local church is first, is to be the preview of the coming kingdom. Two, is to be the very instruments of bringing forth that kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So one is to be preview of the kingdom, too, is the very instruments. We're called to love a good worth to bring forth the kingdom on this earth. The kingdom of God is where his rule and reign is. That's where it is. The kingdom of God is where God's rule and reign is. And the way God has chosen us to bring forth his rule and reign is by expanding his territory. And the way he expands his territory is by making more disciples. Does that make sense? I'll do this really quickly. When God first made Adam and Eve, he said that he made them in his image. And he was saying, where you are, where, people, where my image bearers are, there goes my kingdom. Back in the ancient Near East, um, what rulers would do is they'd create images of themselves to say, this is where my kingdom reigns. You know, if I was Emperor Lawrence, and I said, okay, my kingdom goes to this point, I'd build a huge statue of myself, riding a, a unicorn, riding a dragon with two swords. But um, it would be there. And this would be the statue of Lawrence. And just say, where you see my statue, where you see, you'd be like, that is where the reign of Emperor Lawrence is. Well, what God said with Adam and Eve is, you made in my image, go and multiply. In other words, take the reign, make more image bearers of God. So that's where they are, there exists the rule and reign of God. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying in Matthew 28. When he says, go and make disciples, he's literally saying, go and make more me's, go and make more Jesus's, which is what? The very image of the living God. In other words, what Jesus is saying is when he says, go and make disciples, he's literally saying, go and advance the kingdom. Because where disciples are, the kingdom advances. Do you hear that? These are not separate messages. This is not separate missions. This is all one mission. It's to advance the kingdom of God by making disciples. 
And so what we're called to do then is to show God's rule and reign, his kingdom on earth, as we make disciples. As other people come to know Jesus, and guys, let me tell you where God's rule and reign is, where disciples are made, the product of that is social justice. Not the ends and not the means, but the product of kingdom advancement is justice. Do you hear that? I've often heard this idea of social justice churches and are you a social justice church and all this kind of stuff in this day and age. Can I tell you very clearly, here's what we are at Waypoint Church. We're a gospel church who believes that our calling is to advance the kingdom of God. But we believe that when the kingdom of God advances, justice happens on the streets. Do you hear that? We believe where the kingdom of God advances, justice is a product of it. Mercy is a product of it. Orphan care is a product of it. Helping the poor is a product of it. Race relations is a product of it. Do you understand? And so, yes, we care about justice, and we care about the welfare of our city, and we will seek the welfare of our city, but we will seek it first and foremost by our primary means of advancing the kingdom by making disciples. And this is what we do is we love our neighbors as ourselves is a product of the kingdom moving and kingdom advancing. At Waypoint, we believe that we're all called to be missionaries because we're all called to the mission of kingdom advancement. And so as we live our lives together in community, as we spur each other on, as we consider one another, as we irritate each other, <clears throat> as, we, as we encourage each other to good works, we know that our purpose, our twofold purpose in the kingdom is to show a preview of the kingdom and to be the very instrument of kingdom advancement. So guys, this was a time for me. We've, our church has been in existence for three years now. And I remember distinctly, I, I, was, I was interviewed in a podcast uh, a couple days ago. It's an Asian Americans Leaders podcast. And so, I don't know about you guys, but I haven't done actually many Asian American leadership type stuff. So they asked me to do, be on this podcast, and I was like, oh, okay, I, I, I guess I am an Asian American leader. Sweet. <laughs> so I was like, awesome. So I go on this podcast, and um, just to be completely honest with you, everybody else that's in this group, they all lead Asian American churches. You know, so their church is either a Korean church, they're the, maybe the English language minister of a Korean church, or a uh, Japanese church, or a Taiwanese church, or a Chinese church, or uh, wh whatever type of church is typically minority, ethnic, monolithic, kind of centric kind of environment. And they came up to me, and in, in, in this podcast, they, they specifically the question was asked is, how is it possible that you're the only one that we've talked to that doesn't have a church that's majority minority? Majority minority. How is it possible that you're the only one that we see here that you're pastoring a church that is not all Korean, you being Korean? And it's kind of funny because growing up in the South, I actually never went to a Korean church. Ever, I've been doing ministry for 15 years. I've actually never served in a Korean church. It's kind of funny. When I was in seminary in Orlando, my best friends in Orlando were, two of them were white guys, one was African-American guy, and one was Latin-American guy. So we had four, five of us. They all worked at Korean churches. I kid you not. They were all English language ministers at Korean churches, and I was the only one that wasn't, right? So they, they would invite me to go speak at their churches, like, oh, come do the conference or something. So I'd come and lead the youth conference, and all the Korean ladies were like, why are you not working here? 
they were just, they were just confused. They would just come up to me, and they talked to me in Korean. I'm like talking to them, and they're like, your roommate's working for us, but I'm so confused. And honestly, it's confusing. Honestly, what we have here, can I just be honest with you at Waypoint Church, we are confusing to many parts of the world. We're confusing because in the South, we honestly don't see, was it Martin Luther King says that the most segregated place in America, right? Sunday mornings. Well, that's not true in here, is it? Guys, what's confusing is we're actually going to challenge you and say, hey, let's step out of our comfort zone and let's foster kids. Let's do that, every one of us. What would that be look like? What would that look like if you actually qu- ask God, God, are you calling us to foster? Now, guys, this is not a thing, well, if you're not fostering, you're a bad person. No, no, this is, let's ask God what he's calling us to do. I love it, the fact that we're confusing the people because so many of us choose to live in apartment complexes where there's a lot of other people, newcomers from other parts of the world who says, well, why would you live there in that apartment complex? I love it that we're confusing that in the way that we love each other and that we can party on a business meeting is confusing. <laughs> More than that, guys, I love it that in the midst of a fierce, individualistic Western culture, we stop and we try to live as a family and community together. That's confusing. But can I tell you that every day for me, I thank God that I get to be a part of this with you. And we don't, believe me, for those of you who are new here, we do not have all the answers. <laughs> we struggle all the time figuring things out. But what I love is that we have a safe enough place that we can make mistakes and figure it out together. I love the fact that as we're trying to wrestle with issues of social justice and what to speak into in political times, that we can make mistakes and dive into that together as well and be vulnerable. And I love, love the fact that we can be silly enough to tr- sing, Stephen can sing Halo into Rick Astley's uh, Never Gonna Give You Up on stage in front of everybody. Or we can do the wobble together. And we can just be real and live life together. So thank you. And may God continue to establish us as a local church community that continues to look different. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, that's, we thank you so much for, God, what you've called us to be in the church. God, that our membership and our part of this community has nothing to do with anything that we did to earn it, God, but we're here in it because of your grace and your love. So God, we thank you for that. We thank you for our identity and our membership. And God, may we continue to be a church that looks different. May we continue to be a church that spurs each other on, encourages one another, open and honest and thinking about one another. God, God, may we continue to be a church you called us to in community. May we see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.